The following message has been brought to you by Trinity Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on the web at trinitybc.org. You'd open your Bibles up tonight to Jeremiah chapter 2. We began our study of the book of Jeremiah last week. I have heard already from a couple of you that Jeremiah is one of your favorite uh, Old Testament books uh, in the Bible. And... Primarily, even both the people that told me that tonight had mentioned one particular passage, that there are a number of, of passages in the book of Jeremiah, verses, uh, that we are very familiar with because of the power of the truth that they speak about God, about life, about God's heart, about God's plans. Jeremiah 29, 11, we'll get there. Um, Jeremiah 31 to 33, the precious uh, promises of, of the new heart that God will give, of, of His work even in the new covenant. A uh, passage we looked to even last week in, in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Uh, Jeremiah was called as a very young man to be a prophet for the Lord. He was born in a priest's home, a little small town, a few miles outside of Jerusalem. He was reluctant to follow this calling of God as we looked at last week. Uh, he was worried, I am but a youth. How are these people that have turned so far against God ever going to listen to Him? And yet God said to him, don't worry, I'll be with you. Don't be afraid. Uh, he did warn him, I'm going to call you to proclaim a message of great judgment. It ends up being a message that nobody wanted to listen to, nobody wanted to hear. Well, I'm like being a preacher in this day and age. To some, in some regard, nobody wants to hear what God's Word has to say anymore when we're speaking generally outside in our culture. Uh, this, was, this was inside the church house, so to speak. This was the people of God. Uh, these were the ones to whom the law had been given. These were the ones to whom, uh, for whom God had intervened in their history so many times and brought them into the promised land and blessed them so greatly as He did. Uh, these are the people of God, and yet they turned against God. They have been involved in idolatry and wicked immoralities, injustices being committed within the society. The judges were corrupt. The prophets were uh, worshiping idols and prophesying uh, in the name of idols, of, of false gods. The priests were corrupt and receiving bribes. It was a very, very wicked day and age. And Jeremiah is called to bring and speak forth a word of judgment uh, to the people. He is prophesying some 40-ish years before the fall, warning before the fall of, of Jerusalem, warning the Babylonians are going to come in. God's going to let them come in, even raise them up to, to wipe out Jerusalem and lead all of the Hebrews back as captives, except a few that escaped down to Egypt. Nobody likes the message when it's a message of doom and gloom. And Jeremiah is an interesting book, not only because of the, the verses that speak so powerfully to us today, but also the narratives that we have of the life of Jeremiah. Uh, we know more about the prophet Jeremiah than we do Malachi or uh, Zephaniah that we just looked to. A number of those other prophets that we've looked to, we don't know much about their life. They don't reveal much about their life at all, and there's not any other texts that deal with their upbringing or with even their ministry, whereas the book of Jeremiah uh, contains a number of passages that reveal to us the persecution that Jeremiah faced as he proclaimed the Word of God, and yet God's calling upon his life that led him through that, even when he desires to stop 
says, I'm done with his people. I'm done proclaiming this word. Um, God carried him through. And he continues to speak forth the word of God, even to a deaf audience, even to a group of people that did not want to hear it. Mixed in with all the judgment, it's a big book. And so there's a large section that deals with him calling out all of their sins. That's what we initially dive into, even tonight. And we'll kind of skim over some of it and hit some highlights in the weeks that lie ahead of us. But then there's promises of hope that God is never going to deny and forsake His people, even as they have rebelled and forsaken Him, that He is working a plan even in this judgment that is coming to to restore them, to renew them, to return them to Himself. And so there's a, a number of promises that deal with the restoration that we'll look to, like all the other prophets. It's really a repeating message uh, that God is speaking to His people in their stubbornness and their hard-heartedness. And then it it ends with even a word of judgment upon all the nations that God will someday judge all nations, even Babylon, uh, for the wickedness they do, even as they fulfill the purpose of God, coming in and taking the people of God captive. So that's just a broad overview of the book. But I want to dive into chapter 2 tonight. It's beginning in chapter 2. These oracles of judgment that Jeremiah delivered to the people of God. Uh, Chapters 2 through can't remember where it ends in transitions, but we'll eventually get there. The next number of passages deal with a collection. If you think of really the book of Jeremiah even as a collection of Jeremiah's teachings, of his sermons. And so here we have compiled in this section we're looking to tonight a collection of his words, his proclamations, his oracles of judgment that God gave him to deliver to the, the people of God because of their sin. Jeremiah chapter 2, 1 through 3, 5. It's a lengthy passage, and I debated, do we want to read it all, or maybe I'll walk through it and as I go through it. But I think I'd rather read it all, just so you get a feeling of the, of the doom and gloom, in a way, of the, the calling out of sin that Jeremiah was commissioned of God to bring before the people of God. Uh, you get a sense even of the uniqueness of his writing. It sounds different than Zephaniah that we just looked to. It sounds different than the other prophets. It's coming through the man, Jeremiah, and yet it is the Word of God. Uh, God is speaking through him, using him, and who he was to communicate through to the people. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 1, we begin reading tonight. Moreover, the Word of the Lord came to me, God's Word, through the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem. That's the calling upon Jeremiah's life. He's to go in the name of God and cry out the Word of God before the people of God, even as they hate him all the more for it. Saying, thus says the Lord, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal, when you went after me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Israel was holiness to the Lord, the first fruits of his increase. All that devour him will offend. Disaster will come upon them, says the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What injustice have your fathers found in me, that they have gone far from me? have followed idols and have become idolaters. Neither did they say, Where is the Lord who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through 
a land of deserts and pits, through a land of drought and the shadow of death, through a land that no one crossed and where no one dwelt. I brought you into a bountiful country to eat its fruit and its goodness. But when you entered, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priests did not say, where is the Lord? And those who handle the law did not know me. Think of the staggering statement there. Those that handled the law, those that handled the Word of God, did not know the God of the Word. Those that handled the law did not know me, God said. The rulers also transgressed against me. There was corruption even in the rulers over the people. The prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. Therefore, I will yet bring charges against you, says the Lord, against your children's children. I will bring charges for pass beyond the coasts of Cyprus and see. Send to Kedar and consider diligently and see if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, which are not gods? But my people have changed their glory. Capital G. My people have changed their glory. They changed their God. For what does not profit? Be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. Is Israel a servant? Is he a home-born slave? Why is he plundered? This is prophetic tense here, dealing with once Israel falls, what has happened to them? The, the young lions roared at him and growled. They made his land waste. His cities are burned without inhabitant. Also, the people of Noph and uh, Tophanes have broken the crown of your head. Have you not brought this on yourself? And that you have forsaken the Lord your God when He led you in the way. And now, why take the road to Egypt to drink the waters of Sahor? Or why take the road to Assyria to drink the waters of the river? Your own wickedness will correct you, and your backsliding will rebuke you. Know, therefore, and see that it is an evil and a bitter thing that you have forsaken the Lord your God. And the fear of Me is not in you says the Lord God of hosts. Verse 20, For of old I have broken your yoke and burst your bonds, and you said I will not transgress, when on every high hill and under every green tree you lay down playing the harlot. Yet I planted you a noble vine, a seed of highest quality. How then have you turned before me into the degenerate plant of an alien vine, a foreign invasive vine? For though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, yet your iniquity is marked before me, says the Lord God. How can you say, I am not polluted? I have not gone after the Baal. See your way in the valley. Know what you have done. You are a swift dromedary, a, a camel, breaking loose in her ways. I had to look up what a dromedary was. I didn't know what that was either. Some of you are thinking, what's a dromedary? A wild donkey used uh, to the wilderness that sniffs at the wind and her desire and a time of mating who can turn her away. 
All those who seek her will not weary themselves in her month. They will find her. But hold your foot from being unshod and your throat from thirst. But you said, there is no hope. No, for I have loved aliens, foreigners, and after them I will go. As the thief is ashamed when he is found out, so is the house of Israel ashamed. They and their kings and their princes and their priests and their prophets, saying to a tree, you are my father, and to a stone, you gave birth to me. For they have turned their back to me and not their face. But in the time of their trouble, they will say, arise and save us. But where are your gods that you have made for yourselves? Let them arise, if they can save you in a time of your trouble, for according to the number of your cities are your gods, old Judah. Why will you plead with me? You all have transgressed against me, says the Lord. In vain I have chastened your children. They received no correction. Your sword has devoured your prophets like a destroying lion. All generations see the word of the Lord. Have I... Then a wilderness to Israel or a land of darkness? Why do my people say, We are lords, we are masters? We will come no more to you. Can a virgin forget her, her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. Why do you beautify your way with sweet love? Therefore you have also taught the wicked women your ways. Also on your skirts is found the blood of the lice of the poor innocents have not found it by secret search, but plainly on all these things. Yet you say, because I am innocent, surely his anger shall turn from me. Behold, I will plead my case against you, because you say I have not sinned. Why do you gad about so much to change your way? Also, you shall be ashamed of Egypt as you were ashamed of Assyria. Indeed, you will go forth from him with your hands on your head. For the Lord has rejected your trusted allies. They turned to Egypt and turned to Assyria, even thinking that they could be delivered and saved. And you will not prosper by them. Verse 1 of chapter 3, They say if a man divorces his wife, she goes from him and becomes another man's. Uh, may he return to her again. Would not that land be greatly polluted? But you have played the harlot with many lovers. You yet return to me, says the Lord. Lift up your eyes to the desolate heights and see where you have not lain with men. By the road you have sat for them like an Arabian in the wilderness. And you have polluted the land with your harlotries and your wickedness. Therefore the showers have been withheld and there has been no latter rain. You have had a harlot's forehead. You refuse to be ashamed. Will you not from this time cry to me? My Father, You are the guide of my youth. Will He remain angry forever? Will He keep it to the end? Behold, You have spoken and done evil things as You were able. You've ever been on Crystal Lake? I grew up on Crystal Lake. And you can drive across the lake into the little lake, and on the back corner of the little lake, there is a spring that flows into the lake. And you can walk a trail. I've walked this trail before up that creek. A uh, little little spring creek, not a big creek at all, but a little flow of water, and if you walk far enough up into the woods, you'll eventually come to uh, just a little hill, basically, breaking, it's not even a break in the ground, it's just a spot where the, there's a log and the water is just kind of coming up out of the ground. Uh, there's a spring there, water, that if we were not in this day and age where we 
turn on a faucet as we are so blessed. We know nothing of this day and age in the time of, of, of Jeremiah and many generations before us, even not too far removed from this day and age where you lived around a source of water. Uh, it was harder, much harder to have a cup of water in the morning when you wake up. We are such an extraordinarily blessed people that we don't even think about it and realize how, how we live better than kings and queens in generations past because we have running water and we have clean water to drink. Uh, there's a spring on the other side of Crystal Lake. And I always imagined as a kid, if the end of the world were coming and World War III would break out, we've got a clean source of water. I never did get down and drink the water, but it's cold. Like even on a hot, hot day, it is cold and it is clear, flowing water. Living water. And you read the term living water, even as Jesus uses it in the New Testament, to a person in that day and age when they, they thought of living water before we had, had, had rightly in the illustration sort of spiritualized it, dealing with spiritual life and life eternal that comes from Christ the living water. Uh, living water really just simply meant a, a moving stream of water, especially like an artesian well, where, where the water would, would flow up from the ground, that it is life-giving water, it is moving water that is clean, that is, is filtered even from the aquifer, that is drinkable. Living water. Maybe you've done this as a kid also on the lake shore sometimes. We dig a hole in the ground. And you dig it close enough to the lake you can get water in it. But if you're far enough away from the shore, you dig that hole, it doesn't have any water in it. And you can go and grab a bucket of water and you can start filling up that hole in the ground. And, and you can get a little bit of a little pond there, a little bit of a little hole holding water. But what happens is a few minutes elapse by. A water dissipates through the sand. Maybe you're creative like me and my brothers and you try to put some, get some other type of muddy type soil and, and build some sort of clay where you can hold it. And, and maybe you do build a little cistern. A cistern is simply a water reservoir. When you go to the, the promised land today even, you'll still see a lot of the remains of cisterns that they built where, where they're basically just holes in the ground that they would coat with some sort of uh, you know, thicker mud that would hopefully dry, that, that they could hold water with. It, it was a way in which when there was a drought, they had reservoirs of water, cisterns of, of water. Water coming from a cistern never was like water coming from a stream, from living water, moving water. Uh, that water could grow algae. That water would always taste of the, the cistern that contained it. And as a cistern would age, even if it was built well, it would not be long that it needed repair because it would dry, it would crack. And, and what good is a cracked cistern? You go up to it after you think it's full, and what do you find? You find that the cistern has no water because it has a crack in it. You find what you thought from a distance looked like it would satisfy your thirst. You find something that was even the work of man as they fabricated this container to hold the water didn't suffice. You get to it, and it does not have any water to quench your thirst. Verse 13. You highlight in your Bible, put a star by it. Do so in this verse. Two great evils that the Israelites were guilty of. For my people have committed two evils. 
They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. Forsaken God. The, the one who truly quenches the thirst. The one who is the fountain of living waters. And then secondly, they've hewn themselves, they've, they've carved out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. I want us to consider these two great evils Israel committed tonight and draw an application even to our lives today as a culture at large, as a country, uh, but even personally, especially individually. Two great evils that Israel committed that Lucifer is still roaming about like a roaring lion trying to make us commit these same two evils. And truth be told, there's many, many even bearing the name of Christian in our day and age, and yet they, they have followed this pathway in, 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 in forsaking the fountain of living waters and in constantly hewing, crafting for themselves these cisterns that they think will satisfy, that they think will give to them what they want, what they ultimately desire and even need, and yet they're broken cisterns. They they have nothing in them. First, let's consider the first great evil, forsaking the fountain of living waters. Israel forsook her, her fountain. Uh, Israel forsook the Lord their God. Uh, to forsake, meaning to, to turn against. Uh, I thought about titling the message even tonight, uh, Forsaken and Forgotten. But really, it's just this one point. It is, it is for, that they forsook their God, and, and they even forgot their God. As we just read, just to highlight again some of the um, accusations that were brought against them. Go back to verse 6. The, the fathers of the current generation that Jeremiah is writing to, that God is speaking to, he says, Neither did they say, Where is the Lord? who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through a land of desert and pits, through a land of drought and the shadow of death, through a land that no one crossed where no one dwelt. You realize God had been for the people of Israel a fountain of living water. He is the one that delivered them out of the bondage of Egypt. He is the one that led them through the wilderness and provided for them with miracle after miracle after miracle. He is the one who led them into the promised land and, and conquered for them all the people of the promised land, the great uh, enemies that lived there. He brought them into the land of milk and honey. He established them. He gave them King David and, and King Solomon even, who, who brought Israel into great glory and the might of even the kingdom of Israel. God is the one who did all of these things for His people. And yet, He's saying, they never said... That generation and the generation just before them, where is the Lord? What he's saying there is he's saying they lived as if there was no God. <laughs> they never asked in their own life, as they were living their life, where is the Lord in the midst of what we are, in the midst of what we're doing, in the midst of who we are. They lived as if they could do what they want, whenever they wanted, however they wanted. And they never would ask about God, about the Lord's Word about the Lord's law and how it should have guided and directed their every step. They never said, where is the Lord? Verse 8, the priests even 
never said, where is the Lord? They, they never thought of, of God. They, they did not know the Lord their God. Those that even handled the law, I mentioned as we read it, they, they did not know the God of the law, though they were the ones teaching the very law of God. The rulers transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, and they, they walked after things that did not profit them. God was Israel's fountain of living water, yet Israel forsook God and ultimately even forgot all about Him. There was no consideration of Him in anything that they were, in anything that they were doing. Verse 11, it talks about how crazy it is that nations nations don't change their gods. The gods of the Assyrians were the gods of the Assyrians, and the gods uh, the Assyrians loved their gods. They, they never served the gods of Egypt. They never served, served the god Baal. The Egyptians served all of their gods that they had, and and all of their deities that they created. And, and, and Jeremiah, or even God speaking through Jeremiah, is drawing the irony here that, that all of these distinct groups around them had their own gods that they at least faithfully served. And he's making the point, I am the one true living God. And I am your true fountain of living waters. And yet you, Israel, are the ones who changed your glory. You changed the one true living God. And you, you've sold out from Him to, to worship and serve all of these Idols that you've brought in. Idols that do not profit. Verse 17. They brought this judgment upon them. Why? They brought it upon themselves because they forsook the Lord your God, it says, and that you have forsaken the Lord your God. You go down to verse 19. Another good verse to underline. This is a good verse for them to learn in Awana. I need to teach this verse to my kids. I had to memorize, your sins will find you out. This is basically the same thing. Your sins will find you out. Your own wickedness will correct you. Your sins catch up to you. And your backsliding will rebuke you. Know, therefore, and see that it is an evil and bitter thing that you have forsaken the Lord your God, and the fear of me is not in you. Again, it's repeated. Israel forsook God. They didn't, they didn't consider God in the ways of their life, in the ways of their living. They didn't honor the Word of God in their lives. They had no fear of God. None whatsoever. We'll skip all the way down to, let's just go to the end of verse 32. Can a virgin forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me. Days without number. But Israel had gone, days without number is just a a hyperbole in a sense there, an extended period of time, generation after generation now, where they did not remember the Lord their God. They, they forgot Him altogether in their life, in their, the way that they were ruling, in the way that they were prophesying, in the way that the teachers were teaching, in the way that, that they were worshiping. It amazes me as I just think about a modern-day application, how quick our country has followed in the same footsteps. That you sing some of the patriotic songs even, and they all mention God, and even you know, thinking of God shed His grace on thee, uh, America, the beautiful God shed His grace on thee. The, all the, open up your hymnal, and a lot of those patriotic songs are in there, and they all speak of the favor of God, of the hand of God upon this country. And God blessed it mightily, did He not? 
And we have been prosperous because of the hand of God upon us. And yet, you look at our day and age today, and what you see is God has been forsaken and God has been forgotten. Uh, the, the Word of God is no longer remembered. The Word of God is actually mocked. You look to the culture's embracing of even sexual immorality, of sin, the things that the Word of God is clearly against. And it didn't start in 2010 or 2020. It, you look back and historically, and some of the older folks want to blame the younger generation, but it started in the 60s. It started with the whole free love movement, normalized fornication. And then the 80s and 90s come, and we normalize adultery and divorce. And then in the 2000s, we normalize homosexuality, and we normalize transgenderism is new move now, and it's leading into all sorts of stuff, even polyamory, whatever that is, where marriage doesn't mean anything. It's no longer a commitment between one man and one woman. It's whatever makes you happy. Whoever, whatever, whoever, however many you want. And our, our culture has totally forsaken God, totally forgotten God, as is, is living and, and doing things and even creating more morality based upon th- their own their own whims of what they want, of what they think, of what they desire. And God has long forgotten. God has long forsaken. Verse 19, your own wickedness will correct you and your backsliding will rebuke you. Know therefore and see that it is an evil and a bitter thing that you have forsaken the Lord your God and the fear of me is not in you, says the Lord God of hosts. There is no fear of God in this day and age. You can think of in my generation even how Christmas has been so such an effort to take Christ out of Christmas and now that's kind of like a forgotten battle even. Uh, look, modern day even in the news this week and uh, the Speaker of the House I don't know a whole lot about him, but uh, Mike Johnson, I do know from what he said before uh, the House when he spoke about God being the one who raises up leaders and brings them down, and that God has appointed them to lead the country and to uh, lead it well because of the appointment of God. And I know in an interview he said his worldview is the Scripture, uh, that he is an evangelical Christian. And I do know that the media has totally made an absolute mockery of him for even a late-night comedian that compared him to the shooter in Maine because the shooter heard voices in his head, and the, the guy made a joke. I forget which one it was, but, but made a joke that it, it sounds a lot like um, Mike Johnson because he hears voices in his head because he believes there is a God. <laughs> it's gotten to a point where anybody who claims, e- even in a very intellectual way, the historic Christian faith is made a complete mockery of is persecuted, not in a way physically yet, but, but definitely through media, through slander. Uh, the, the, the God of the Scriptures has long been forsaken and forgotten. We could harp about the culture at large all we want, but if we fail to point this passage to our own hearts, we would run amiss tonight. Uh, we can apply it to the culture at large, but we also got to apply it to our, our own selves individually. The reality is, even in our own life, living in the culture that I just described in the day and age in which we live, it's easy for us to forget the Lord God in our daily lives. It's easy for us to forsake God in our daily living. 
think of just the driving up here tonight. I don't have this in my notes, but driving up here tonight, I drive by the ball field, and guess what's going on? There's a baseball game. When I was in junior high, they didn't do that. When I graduated high school, they had just started every now and then doing it. And now, Wednesday nights, even though all our churches still meet and have a big youth program on Wednesday night, Wednesday nights, just like every other night. And not only is Wednesday night not reverenced anymore for, for the Lord, but Sunday mornings even, on the Lord's Day, uh, Little League games, my goodness, coaching T-ball and wanting me to coach an all-star team last year uh, because other guys were coaching their older kids on all-star team, and, and it was a weekend tournament. And I literally had to tell them, like, I am the pastor of Trinity. I'm not skipping church to go play a T-ball tournament, for goodness sake. But so many of our families feel the pressure of that. And so many of our families, they are, they are, they're forsaking God. They're forsaking the assembling of themselves together because there is a cultural pressure now upon you to fit in and to do what you think is best for your kid and you think little Johnny's going to be the next all-star. And there's a pressure to, to prioritize an athletic league or some other competition over the Lord's church. Games on Sunday, you turn the TV on and the movies and the music that's filled with all sorts of just wickedness and immorality and it's hard to filter that stuff. And there's some believers that get to the point of, of no longer battling it and they just come to accept it and watch the stuff. I know, I'm stepping on toes and I'm meddling and I'm harping. But, but you forget the Lord your God. You, you live as if there is no God when you do such things. The way you dress and the way you let your kids dress. Some of these older ladies are shaking their head. They're like, it's about time you got to meddle and preacher. But seriously, like those that are younger in here and you've got kids, daddies in here. I know my little baby girl's only three. But I hope someday I'll have the courage to stand up and say, no, you're not wearing that out of this house. <laughs> Like, I know there's a world around us that's normalized, you know, dressing in inappropriate ways. But we're not of the world. We're, we're of the Lord. We're supposed to live like there is a God. <laughs> we're supposed to live like we were saved. Like, like there is a judgment and there is the grace of God that saves us from it. Schools and colleges with the teachings of evolution, atheism, humanism, all the stuff that goes along with that. And college kids that feel the pressure of, of caving in and fitting in to... Uh, those sorts of, of pressures that are put upon them. And ultimately, it's good for us to ask the question, verse 8, verse 6, that they forgot, where is the Lord? <laughs> where is the Lord? Where is the Lord right now in the middle of the way you're raising your kids? Okay, where, where is the Lord right now in your job, in the way you work at your job? You think the Lord's just here on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights? No, no, the Lord is everywhere. Where's the Lord in the midst of the way that you're working at your job and the things that you talk about and the things that you do and you don't do? Where's the Lord in your marriage? To ask in every aspect of your living, where is the Lord? Great evil, number one, they forsook the Lord their God, the fountain of living waters. I don't have time to harp on that, but he, he's the one that truly satisfies. He's the one that's truly saved you and can give you the joy of life and the peace that passes all understanding. He is the one that is the living waters, and yet you forsake him. Second great evil, they hewed for themselves cisterns, 
broken cisterns that can hold no water. Really quickly, uh, those cisterns were Baal, uh, following after Baal, prophesying in the name of Baal, Baal, verse 8. Verse 11 talks about them changing their God for all of these other gods, and it does not profit. It's an empty cistern. They think that through serving these other gods, they're going to be prosperous. They're going to receive the, the benefit of what those false gods offer, and yet God's saying they're stone, and they're trees even, and you've You've said a tree's your father, and you came from a stone. He's mocking it. Like, how foolish is that? That I'm the one true living God, and you're turning to all to trees and to stones, thinking they're going to give to you water. Uh-uh. He says, you call out to them when this judgment comes upon you, and let them rise up and deliver you. Of course, they will not. Verse 18, Egypt and Sahor and Assyria, the um, areas that... They turned to for security and safety and a sense of an alliance to protect them instead of turning to the Lord their God. And God says, no, they won't deliver you. Verses 21 through 24, Jeremiah, or God through Jeremiah, gives a number of imageries about their sinfulness. They played the harlot spiritually, even physically in many cases, as a way of worshiping. Even these idols dealt with sexual immoralities often. They played the harlot that's used even in chapter 3, that uh, they committed harlotry against the Lord. Verse 21, they're compared to an invasive vine, even though God planted a true vine there for them um, to to, um, provide for them, and yet they, they turned and they became an invasive vine. Verse 22, they were spotted with, with stains that soap can't wash off. Verse 23, they were like a a female camel that was tripping over itself as the imagery here. Kind of like you'd think of a a newborn calf even, or I don't know, I'm thinking giraffe even, that would just stumble over its legs. That's the imagery of this camel, just just stumbling over everything. Verse 24, they were a wild donkey in heat. Now those of you who are hunters, you know when to kill a buck, right? When it's in heat, when it's in, in the rut. Why? Because they, they don't think. They're all their securities that they normally you know, take guard against go away because they're thinking about one thing and, and they get dumb. And that's when you can get them. That's the picture here of, of a female donkey, a wild donkey in heat that would disregard everything in the pursuit of, well, you know. Verse 33, <laughs> they did this all with pomp and arrogance. Why do you beautify your ways to seek love? Uh, not only did they go awry, but they, they beautified it. They, they made bad to be good. They, they flipped the, the, the morality of God upside down, and they normalized the idolatry that they were committing. And they even would say, you know, and the reason God's bringing this case against them is they're saying, God, what do you have against us? We haven't done anything wrong. And yet their life was filled with such wickedness and immorality and idolatry. They made good to be bad and bad to be good. You know, we have many broken cisterns in our day and age. And they aren't necessarily made out of stone or made out of trees, but they're idols nonetheless. We'll just walk through a few and we'll close. You can think of the cistern of money, the idol of money. And tying on with that, we could call it of prosperity, of success, of materialism. So many people think that, man, if I can just get the bigger paycheck, if I can just, you know, be successful in life, then I'm going to have it made, and I'm going to truly finally be happy. 
finally be content. And you know what that is? It's a broken cistern. Idols never promise what, they never deliver what they promise. If you look at it and you think that's what's going to satisfy, that's what's going to make you make you finally happy, and yet you even look to those that get the money and to get to get the success, and what do you find? That they are actually more miserable than you are because there's at least a little excitement in the pursuit. There's a hope that if you ever get it in the pursuit, that, that you'll you'll have it, and, and yet when you get it, kind of the hope is gone because you realize it doesn't give to you what you thought it would. That's what an idol does. That's what sin does. It overpromises and under underdelivers. You you think it will quench your thirst, but there's no water in it. A cistern of popularity. We want to pretend as if that's just a junior high, high school sort of thing, but the reality is it isn't. We all care what people think. Uh, just pull up Facebook if you have any question about it, and people can post and post and post. And and unfortunately, I don't know if I should say this, but many times it seems like the happiest couple on Facebook is often the one whose marriage is on the brinks. Like, behind the scenes, reality is, it's just a facade. It's all about an image putting off before other people. We care too much about what other people think. People create an idol out of that. An idol out of relationships, and that never satisfies. It it actually leads to, to greater issues in life. Cistern of the American Dream family. What about this one? American dream family. I think this gets Christians more than anything. You, you, you want to have the American dream, the good family, the good life. And it may not be full-blown materialism, but you know, it's owning a couple vehicles and owning a house that you get paid off and, 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 and being what the, the stereotypical American dream family would look like. And so you're here, there, everywhere, pursuing everything in your life and yet, where is the Lord? <laughs> where is the Lord in your life? Like, where is the, the thing that ought to be utmost, the number one priority, your walk before the Lord, your relationship with the Lord, your obedience before the Lord? All these other things that, that fill the American dream are, are your, the, your, your pursuit or what you're living for. Broken cistern. And I'm old enough now that I've seen it in my own life. People that live for that sort of thing they get older and they, they find it doesn't give what it promises. It doesn't lead to the happy family in the latter end of your life. It ends often to, in disarray and in relationships broken and, and kids that go away and pursue the things of the world because that's what you've raised them to, pers- to pursue, the American dream. One more, the cistern of hedonism. We could do any ism, humanism, intellectualism, materialism. But what about hedonism? What is hedonism? Hedonism, this is more for the younger generation, I think. Hedonism is you just do what makes you happy. Kind of essentially what, what brings greatest joy, greatest pleasure, greatest satisfaction. That, that's the younger generation in this day and age. Because so many, I mean, even like intellectualism and materialism, all of those things have come and gone and failed. Humanism, even as a whole, has kind of come and gone and failed. And it's kind of in this you know, post-postmodernist age where where they recognize in a way that none of those things give what they promise, and so ultimately it's just do what you want to do, be what you want to be. Self-expression. Whatever fulfills you, whatever floats your boat. And ultimately that doesn't lead to true satisfaction. It doesn't lead 
to a true fulfillment of life. All it leads to is emptiness and brokenness. And my goodness, the more sin that they enter into and the pursuit of the pleasure of sin, sin has consequences. And we're dealing with the brokenness, great, great brokenness because of the actions of sinful people in God's world. I want to conclude going back to the beginning of this chapter. In the midst of all of this forgetting God and forsaking God in in hewing cisterns that hold no water, pursuing idols and all of these things that never satisfy, what, what does God begin with? God says, verse 2, beginning this whole proclamation to His people. I remember thee. That though they had forsaken God, God still had not forsaken them. Even tonight, no matter how much you have forsaken and forgotten God, you realize God knows you. God remembers you. God rejoices not in the destruction of the sinner, but that the sinner repents. The sinner finds forgiveness. The heart of God for not only as people Israel, but for all His people, all humanity, that He would give Christ who would come and be the living water. The one who promises to give water that He can drink of to that woman at the well, that Samaritan woman. If you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again. The water that He says, I give freely to any who come, comes in you. And I hope you would ask yourself that question in verse 6 and verse 8, even as we pray. Where is the Lord? Where is the Lord in your life right now? I mean, if you've forsaken Him and forgotten Him, or if He truly was the number one priority in your life as a father, especially, my goodness, as a father, as a mother, as a grandma, as a grandpa, as a young man, as a young woman, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray You would take Your Word and convict our hearts. I pray You would correct us where correction is needed. Draw us even to repentance tonight in this invitation. That every person in this room, I pray, is a child of God. If not, I pray they get that settled tonight. That for all of us who are, that we would leave here with you being the priority. That we would leave here remembering you and fearing you, honoring you, revering you, obeying you. Lord, not just tonight in the church house, but even as we go out tomorrow and live life in the next day and the next day. Lord, help us to remember you in all things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.